0: Hey, for those of you guys who don't know me, no, my name is Ben Kempfer. I'm the pastor here at Downtown Community Church. Um, and I just want to say, uh, as we kick off the rest of this, the, for the few moments we have left, my, uh, my goal is to put some, uh, some, some some of the scriptures behind uh, some of the stuff that we just heard. But I would be remiss if I didn't uh, acknowledge that in the back. Uh, kind of in the back corner back there is Pastor Kelly Burke. And I just wanted for all of us to give a hand for him. for. Um, like he said, he's, he's, he's in the chaplaincy response program from the, uh, from the Billy Graham Association and whatnot, and, uh, and so he goes all over the world. I mean, anything that happens from, from a riot to a natural disaster, I mean, they are on the ground. They're first responders, and they just do a tremendous job. So, Pastor Burke, thank you for your words. Thanks for all your ministry, and um, by the way, if anybody wants to hear anything spiritual ever, talk to him, not me. Um, by far, every time he shows up in the room, I'm like, why, why don't you just speak? I, I, you're, you're better than me. Um, so what I want to do with the remaining time that we have, like I said, is put some Bible behind uh, some of the stuff that we heard, some of the talk about. And, and frankly, I want to give you some nuts and bolts and some ideas about what you can actually do with this thought. And, and I want to you know, kind of bring us back to the point that we talked about, which is that for many of us, when we look at... Um, Any kind of issue, just really in life, it's human nature. It's human nature for us to think of ourselves in camps. You know, this camp or that camp. For many of us, um, it's the iPhone camp or the Droid camp. You know, it's like you're in the iPhone camp, and if you're in the Droid camp, we're going to pray for you. You know, Um, or it's the Florida State, Florida, you know, camp. If you're in the Florida camp, then you're all cheaters, and you know you're whatever. You know, but if you're in the Florida State camp this morning, it's like prayer request for us. Something happened that we're not used to last night. We lost a regular season game God are you still there you know um so, you know, kind of a, what, what happens inevitably is, is it is human nature, it is human nature for you to find yourself or you to associate yourself or, or in many ways for you to compartmentalize yourself or ourselves into a particular camp. And that can fall into anything that falls into, um, yes, ethnicity, yes, religion, yes, political views, but pretty much everything that you can have an opinion about. It's kind of human nature for us to compartmentalize ourselves or to segment ourselves into a particular camp. And the story we're going to read this morning is a story about, a guy who, when he was talking to Jesus, basically said, Jesus, how far do I need to take this loving your neighbor thing? How far do I need to take this? Because the human nature is for me and for you to love the people who look like us, act like us, talk like us, make what we make, and frankly, live near where we live. And that's kind of the normal thing. And so Jesus would say, hey, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. So this guy basically says, well, yeah, but how far do you take that? What's the requirement?'" What's the requirement of a Christian to love your neighbor? How far exactly do you take that? Because I mean, come on—that's just a general, that's a broad, that's kind of a you know overscoping type of idea. But what does that mean to me? How far do I take that in my life? So I want you to open your Bible or open your phone if you got your you know Bible app or whatever you have. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, now let me again tell you, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one. Um, we've got some in a little Pinteresty bookshelf on the back wall as you, as you walk out the door. And honestly, it's our goal every week. I would so much rather you read the Bible on your own. I'd so much rather you, you know, walk out of here, and I'm skeptical. and I don't really know if I can trust that guy. But let me go read this for myself. That's a win for us. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. And this guy comes up to Jesus. He says, and behold, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up, to put him to the test. So, classic lawyer, thinking he's the smartest guy in the room, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So, just general question Teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Talking to Jesus. And so he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus says back to him, You have correct, answered correctly do this and you will hit, live but he being the lawyer desiring to justify himself now huge idea here because the lawyer's response to that is our natural response i would much rather reason through a way that makes me good to i don't doesn't require anything else of me than to actually find out what jesus what god what the gospel Would require of me. And so this lawyer poses a question because perhaps inwardly he knows there's some things that he isn't doing that he ought to do. This guy who believes that Jesus is a good teacher, so perhaps he believes that he's a son of God, perhaps he would be in the later category that we would consider a Christian, looks at Jesus and wants to feel like he doesn't need to do anything else, he doesn't need to help anybody else. So looking to justify himself, he says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus, how far do I have to take this? I mean, come on. The the, the thought, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's just general. That's broad. I mean, you know, there's so many different camps of people. So Jesus, come on. So who is my neighbor? Because I walk by a lot of people, I have people in my neighborhood that are, you know, I would consider my neighbor. There's, you know, kind of the person in the cubicle next to me. Who's my neighbor? There's people that live in the same city, but I'm not necessarily. I wouldn't consider them neighbors. There's people in the outlying counties. I would kind of consider them neighbor. That's like our city's neighbor, but not maybe my personal neighbor. There's people across the state. There's people across the world. So Jesus, come on, let's narrow this down. Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Now here's Jesus' response. Perhaps you're familiar with this story. Jesus tells him a story. He Says a man. Was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by him on the other side. So he says, "Okay, so let me just set up this this, this, this story for you." So there's this guy walking down the road. All we know about this guy, all we know about this guy is that for some reason he fell among robbers. For some reason he got robbed, he got beat, he got stripped. And he's lying there naked, poor, and dirty on the side of the road, half dead. And we don't know why he's there. We don't know if this was a dude who was running with the wrong crowd. He was running with the robbers and the robbers turned on him. We don't know if it was a guy who was kind of like an immoral guy. We don't know if it was a guy who was an incredibly moral guy. We don't know if it's a guy who took all the personal responsibility, did all the things right, and just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. All we know is that there is a person on the side of the road who is hungry, probably, who is bleeding, who is beaten, who is poor, and who is naked, and they're half dead, and they're just on the side of the road. And this priest walks by. A pastor is the, the cultural equivalent. Walks by. And the pastor sees him. And there's a lot of thought about maybe why the pastor avoided him some scholars will say, well, maybe he thought he was dead. And then, you know, the Levitical laws, if, if someone who is a pastor touches someone who's dead, then they have to go through about a week of a ceremonial cleaning because at that point they're unclean. So maybe it was for like a religious reason that he saw him and said, man, I can't be associated with that type of person. I can't touch that type of person. That's going to be way too inconvenient for my life. We don't know. Maybe he just looked at him and saw, that's, that's gross. Put some clothes on, weirdo. We don't know. But so the pastor sees him and walks. Across the road. To avoid him. So likewise. A Levite. When he came to the place and saw him. Pass by. On the other side. Now again. You, you, you may or may not know this. A Levite. A Levite. Was from the tribe of Levi. There was a number of different tribes. In this particular tribe. Was set apart. To be, uh, to be used by God. Primarily in the temple. These were primarily the religious leaders. Were The Levites. So these are the people that we would look up to. This is your pastor and your worship leader. This is your pastor and your community group leader. This is your pastor and the person who disciples you, who disciples a lot of people, who everybody in the church would look up to spiritually. So they both saw this guy who was lying, you know, half dead and naked on the side of the road. And they both walked by him and didn't do anything. Probably had tons of reasons, who knows? But nonetheless, they walked by him. And then it says... But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, it's hard for us to understand culturally how big of a deal this was. Because you talk about camps of people. The Jews hated, hated, hated the Samaritans. Adrian had a great illustration. He said that the the divide between the Jews and the Samaritans was probably a stronger hatred than there was when all the integration was happening and the civil rights movements were happening here in America. He said, I mean, it was just, I mean, come on. The the, the disciples must have been listening to Jesus and saying, are you kidding me? A Samaritan? (laughs) A Samaritan? Jesus, Samaritans aren't the example. But here's what we're going to find out. Jesus was never concerned with a camp. He was always concerned with people. Jesus was never concerned with a camp. He was always concerned with people. Jesus was never concerned with a camp, why you're in that camp, and whose camp is right and whose camp is wrong. He was always concerned with people. So Jesus says, so there's a Samaritan that walked by. And as the Samaritan walked by, he had compassion. He went to him and bound his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He set them on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And so he kind of says, okay. And so here's what happens. Now, I got a question for you, teacher. Which of these do you think, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor? Here's, here's what's fascinating. The guy asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus' response was, how to be a neighbor? The guy asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Who should I love? How far does this whole thing go? But Jesus, Jesus, Jesus was far more concerned with teaching his followers how to be a great neighbor. And here's why. Here's why. Because great neighbors, great neighbors in the image of their heavenly father, take responsibility for people they have no business taking responsibility for. Camps do not matter. Thoughts do not matter. And so Jesus looks at this guy and says, okay, so there's this Samaritan. There's a Samaritan that's walking around. There's a Samaritan that sees someone. We don't know why he's in the place he is. We don't know why he's in the you know, camp that he's in. We don't know why he's in this position in life that he's in. But irrelevant. Jesus says, this Samaritan sees that person, has compassion on him, and takes responsibility. So Jesus looks at the, the teacher of the law, the smart guy, probably the affluent guy, and says, who do you think is the neighbor? And it's interesting because his response is almost to the point where it was difficult for him to say the Samaritan. Jesus gave these guys distinct labels. And Jesus, the guy says back to him, "The one who showed mercy." And Jesus says to him, "So you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise." Now just tell you a, a few things. The idea behind this, the idea behind this is really simple. When Jesus looked at this idea of who to love and how to love, he wasn't concerned with who to love and how to love is that are you a loving person? Because the, at the center of the idea Of being a loving person is the realization, is the acute realization, like Adrian said, of thank God that God did not expect me to take responsibility for my sin. You see, here's the game changer when it comes to the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan becomes real in our life when we realize that we were the people who were beat, we realize that we're the people who were dirty, we realize realize that we are the people who are dead on the side of the road in our sins. And God saw us in our sinfulness and did not wait for us to get cleaned up, did not wait for us to take responsibility for putting ourselves in that position in life, whatever position in life that is, but he saw that and gave his one and only son for that, to love us in spite of whatever decisions that we had made, whatever rebellion we had done against God, and whatever, however many amount of times he saw us turn our back on him. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we had already turned from our sin, made ourselves nice, and made ourselves pretty again. He saw us and died for us. He says, Come on, come on. That's the call of the Christian. That's the call of the Christian. That you would take responsibility for anybody and everybody around you. You would take responsibility for the people who look like you. Act like you. Talk like you. Dress like you. And make what you make. And you would also take responsibility for the people who don't look like you. Who don't act like you. Who don't dress like you. Who don't talk like you. And who don't make what you make. Who are from the same place that you're from. And who aren't from the same place that you're from. Who are from the, the same socioeconomic status. And who aren't from the same socioeconomic status. Who are from the same geographical region. And who aren't from the same geographical region. Because because in Christ all are one. And he looks at this idea and says, come on, come on. You can't compartmentalize this. You can't compartmentalize who is your neighbor. Because Jesus didn't compartmentalize who he died for. And so the idea of a Christian is that a Christian lives to serve. And to serve anyone and everyone. To help anyone and everyone. In fact, Jesus said it one day this when he was walking around. He said, for even the Son of Man... It said, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, let me just pause and say this. How incredible would this be? How incredible would this be if this was the reputation of the church? For those of you, you you walked in here maybe today, and you're a little bit skeptical about Jesus, you're a little skeptical about God and about Christianity. How incredible, I mean, come on, can you imagine... Can you imagine if the reputation of the church was that the church loved and cared for and accepted everybody and anybody regardless of how lovable and acceptable they were? I mean, the worst people, the worst of the worst people when Jesus was around would flock to Jesus by the thousands to be a part of what he was doing, to hear him speak, to be healed by him, and to be fed by him. Can you imagine if the reputation of the church Was on the forefront of loving people and not on the forefront of judging people. Was on the forefront of living out the gospel, deep realization of God's love for me in their life. And consequently, that love pouring out to anybody and everybody around me, regardless of who you were. And the reputation wasn't a reputation of hypocrisy. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? How much differently people would think about Jesus if when they saw the church, they saw a group of people who had no camps but simply loved, no camps but loved anybody and everybody, regardless of where they were from, regardless of what they looked like, regardless of who they were. Can you imagine how dynamic of a church that would be? Now, last couple minutes, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. Because I know how how this works. You know, that that sounds wonderful. And you say, oh, my gosh, you know, I want to do it. Let's invade hell with squirt guns. You know, oh, my gosh. But then you get outside, and you're going to go to eat lunch, and you're going to go home, and you kind of, you know, a little bit gets lost in translation and, you know, don't necessarily apply all of it. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you three quick things. I want to give you three quick things. If you are ever at the point where you say, I want to do that, If you're ever at the point where you say, I want to do that, I want to help, I want to take responsibility, I want to do, I want to love, I want to serve, I want to live out the gospel in my life, but I just don't know how. I see stuff that's happening. I see stuff that's happening all across in both camps. Yeah, of course I see stuff that happens that the news hits. But I also see stuff that happens that people don't talk about. Like, I mean, holy cow, can we talk about the fact that it's not just black and white. It's not just white and black. There are issues on both sides of the spectrum that people get wrong and that we get wrong and that I get wrong and that you get wrong. And we want to be a group of people that starts taking responsibility for both sides. Here's what you do. Let me give you three things that I think are absolutely critical. Three things that are absolutely critical. Number one, number one, number one, if you ever actually want to put some nuts and bolts behind, so what do I do Monday morning? How does this apply? Number one, learn. You can't help somebody that you don't understand. You can't help somebody that you don't understand. You should learn. You should learn. You should learn. learn. The only way to responsibly help someone else is to learn what's happening in their situation. I can't tell you how many times in the name of Jesus people have launched into a situation. Oftentimes we do this internationally. We'll go to another country, we'll go to a place where people are poor, people are destitute, people are marginalized. We'll say, this is how we're going to help. And they're sitting there saying, that's fine, but that's not really helpful. Here's my general rule of thumb. If I ever disagree with you, any part of life, not just when it comes to ethnicity, any part of life. If I disagree with you politically, if I disagree with you religiously, if I disagree with you ethnically, I mean anything in life. I want to understand what you have to say so well that I can articulate it back to you better than you can articulate it to me. That's my goal. I want to understand what you have to say. I want to understand your opinion. I want to understand your perspective. If you're an atheist... I want to know why you don't believe in God so well. Understand the, 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 the nuances behind your thoughts so well. That I can say what you say better than you can say it. It's an arrogant thing to think. That's what I want to get to. I want to understand you so well. I want to understand the other side. Because I know there's no way I can really help if I don't first understand. Second part. Learning comes by listening. Learning comes by listening. You ought to listen. Not talk. We love to talk. We love to get our thoughts. We love to get our opinions out there. We love to say why we think this and why we think that. But you ought to listen more than you talk. Because talking conveys information and listening understands information. Let me me just say, the church is full of people who got a lot of opinions but no one wants to listen to anybody else. (laughs) Jesus looked at this. I mean, come on, can you imagine... If the guy who saw the guy on the side of the road looked at him and said, What an idiot. Why'd you put yourself in that position? Here, here, I I guess, here's here's some water, maybe. Here's some dirt. You know, if you're raised maybe in a barbaric household like we were, you know, you get a cut, you put some dirt on it until you finish playing, you know, and then you go in and get it washed off. I mean, come on. He looked at it. He looked at it. He looked at it. He saw the situation and went and helped the guy. Helped the guy for a long period of time because he understood what this guy's needs were. How can the world can we expect to responsibly respond to the world's needs if we don't first learn and we don't first listen to what the world is saying? If you have friends that don't believe in Jesus... You shouldn't just tell them, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You should first understand why. Because perhaps for you, you're trying to shove God down their throat, and they have been so burned by someone in the church that they don't want to listen to anything about the church because first, before you say anything, they need to see someone actually live out their faith. And you can say and say and say and say and say. say, But until you understand that, you will never effectively witness or evangelize to your friends. Your friends will have so much less of a probability of coming to faith if you don't understand why they don't believe in God in the first place. Learning comes by listening. And when you listen, you learn. And here's the last part. When you listen, and when you learn, you act. When you listen, you learn, and then you act. Many of us understand. Some of you, you go to school for it. You've been learning about it for for semesters now. And you just need to act. You need to get off the couch. You need to do something proactive in your faith, in your community. You've listened and you've learned. But perhaps for you, you've listened and you've learned, but you still don't have a friend in your entire context list that doesn't look like you, act like you, and dress like you. That's a problem. Perhaps everybody that you go to lunch with, everybody that you go to dinner with, everybody that you disciple looks like you, acts like you, talks like you. That's a problem. Perhaps for many of us, we know as Christians now. Because you've been listening and you've been learning. But the responsibility is to take action. To live life with people who aren't like you. Because come on, that's what Jesus did. He saw a sinful world. He saw a rebellious world. And he became... Like us, though he was holy and pure and perfect, he became man. It says the word became flesh, and the flesh dwelt among us. What a powerful example. So you listen, well, you learn. And you learn by listening. And when you've learned and you've listened, then you fight the inevitable force that wants you to just remain You just, you know, status quo, and you act. You learn, you listen, and you act. You learn, you listen, and you act. You learn what they think even when you don't agree with it and you learn how to say it better than they can say it. You listen for what they have to say and perhaps you don't have anybody who's not like you who you could listen to. You need to start perhaps going to some places that you wouldn't normally go to. Eating at some places that you wouldn't normally eat at. You Perhaps you need to I mean come on. I mean, th- th- This is just trans- the idea is transformative. Maybe you shop at places you wouldn't normally shop at. Maybe you get your hair cut. Perhaps for some of you when you start looking at houses, you start looking at houses in neighborhoods where you normally wouldn't start looking because property value wise it Makes no sense, but according to the gospel, it makes all the sense in the world. And come on, what if, I'm just saying this one more time, what if this was the reputation of the church? What if it wasn't judgmentalism and hypocrisy but instead was love, love, love regardless of what camp anybody was in and responsibility that anybody took that we loved regardless of how lovable and regardless of how agreeable and regardless of how moral or any of those things that we loved anyone and everyone and took responsibility for anyone and everyone regardless of if it made sense culturally? What if that? was the reputation of the church. And let me just tell you, from my perspective, I promise, I promise, I promise that I am going to do everything in my power as the pastor of our church to continually put this in front of us. I'm going to do everything as I can as the pastor of our church to continually put opportunities in front of you to interact with a diverse group of people. We're going to continue to to sponsor and champion and push hope programs like the hope program where we take kids from all over the city and bring them in on a wednesday and 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 mentor and disciple and do help with homework and hopefully that we can do some transformative things with some kids who maybe don't have a lot of transformative influences in their life we're going to continue to put stuff like project tallahassee where we partner with tons and tons of tons of different nonprofits in our city because we don't feel like we have to reinvent the wheel There's plenty of groups in our city, some Christian-based, some non-Christian-based, who are doing incredible work in our city. And what if we didn't reinvent the wheel, but we just fueled that wheel? And I promise, I'm going to do everything I can to continue to give you the opportunities to begin to see what life has lived like when you serve people regardless of boundaries. That when we do those things, it's not okay I cross the finish line. This is a doorway into what life could and should be like. But you got to get this. The heart of the entire thing, the heart of the entire thing is simple. It's a daily realization that I am the person on the side of the road. I'm the person who's dead in my sin. I'm the person who's dirty, who's naked, who's poor, and who's beaten. And I have a God who saw me in that state. And died for me. To give me a right standing with him. And a relationship with him. In Christ. In Christ. Only in Christ. Do you find the strength. Only in Christ. Do you find the power. Only in Christ do you find the love. And only in Christ. Do you find the courage. To live the life. To be the person to live out the gospel that God, in Jesus, has called you to do. The reason that we love, in summary, the reason that we so deeply love without borders, the reason that we so deeply love without segmentation, is because we have been so deeply loved by our Heavenly Father that it pours out to anybody and everybody around us, regardless of who you are. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ alone do we find that as Christians. And let me just tell you, I'm going to pray. When I pray, I'm just going to pray that God turns us into a group. I'm going to pray that one day we will be known as a church who loves I'm going to pray that one day we would be known as a church who loves people regardless of their level of lovability, regardless of their level of acceptance, regardless of their level of morality, regardless of where they're from or what they look like, that we would be known and have a reputation in our city as a church who loves regardless. So let's pray together.